You're listening to The Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities in the pursuit of love, peace, and happiness with your host, Rafika and Brother James. We're live and we're welcoming you to another high-powered show talking about retiring young and wealthy, if you can imagine that. I am Rafika, your co-host. My co-host, Brother James, is in the house, and we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about, but on our list before we welcome Harun Niket to join us, we want to talk a little bit about what happened this weekend. We had the most powerful, impactful weekend. Keys 107 Network, as you know, has partnered with the women doing it big. We were the media sponsors of the show, of the uh, conference, and we had an opportunity to have good conversations with the likes of Notori Norton, the sexy, high-powered wife of that guy ghost on that show, Power, <laughs> that we hear is coming back for another season. And we had a chance to talk with Tashira Simmons, the ex-wife of hip-hop. I don't even know. Do we say superstar, James? Hip-hop? Superstar. He's the only one that I know of that put out three platinum albums in less than a year. We speak of none other than DMX. Where's my dogs at? Yeah. What a powerful conversation, Rafika. Yes, well, it was. And well, um, one of the things that we want to definitely put on the forefront is um, when we uh, put out to uh, many of our listeners and our business people who do tune in all the time to get advice, we put it out there, hey, you have an opportunity to sponsor somebody, an entrepreneur, a young woman in business, and many said okay, but there was one who didn't say anything and just sent the money, and that is the one, Haru Niket. Now, I just want to say to Haru that you may think that that was a small thing, but in the eyes of the Keys 107, that was tremendous because you didn't waver, you didn't go back and forth, you didn't, um, well, um. <laughs> You just put the money on the table, and we had the opportunity to meet Ms. Zendra Goodlett. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. But she was very honored, um, Haru, to be a part of the of the Women Doing It Big. And she uh, did a video, thank you, that we're going to post shortly. So I think, James, this is a good time to bring in Haru, um, unless you want to go to the healthy tip of the day. Well, I just want to say one thing as well, uh, Haru. Um, this conference actually had the capability and the potential to change people's lives. And I'm hoping that there was something said uh, be, uh, by one of the magnificent speakers that touched your guests uh, uh, at the, at the women's doing it big. It was just that powerful. It was very spiritual. It was very inspiring. It was very informative and they were free to meet and greet people and network on a whole nother level. 
So I just want to thank you for giving someone an opportunity such as that. All right. Let us go to the healthy tip of the day, and we can talk more about this later on, but I'm well, excited. Well, we're going to go straight to Haru because uh, Medea has not checked in yet, and that's okay. Okay. Good evening. Good evening, <laughs> my brother. <laughs> Good evening. And, and, th- and thank you very much for allowing me to uh, sponsor somebody for the program. It was an honor. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we are glad to have you back on board with us for the 2017 year. And we're looking tremendously forward to hearing about these tips that may allow some of us who are young to become wealthy and retire young and wealthy. So I don't know where you want to begin, but I think that maybe we might start with planning because everything should start with planning, right? Yeah, we need to plan. I think people don't realize that the, the importance of planning and, um, you know, when you look statistically, only one in three Americans in their 50s has ever even tried to create a retirement plan. And unfortunately, a third of those people who have tried admit that they've either, either given up or they failed miserably. So, you know, in actuality, barely 20% of what we call pre-retirees, people in their 50s, have a useful plan. And that's kind of frightening to me because time flies. You know, and before you know it, um, you're, you're getting to an age where you're, where you're considering not working anymore, but you're ill-prepared for the rest of your life. And when I say retire young, young is, I guess, relative. It's a relative term now because people are living so much longer today. Um, you could have a very fulfilling and active life, you know, being in your 40s and your 50s and even into your 60s, you still have, you know, plenty of time to go statistically. And so um, you don't want to be in a situation where, uh, you worked, and I know I started working at 12. A lot of people started working at 14, 15, 16. Well, you work from 14, 15 up into your 70s because you're forced to. Um, you know, that, that's frightening to me. So, you know, I even think back to my own situation. I started planning for my retirement at 23 or 22, actually. I saw a financial planner, and we sat down, and he said, what are your goals? And I said, I want to be able to retire young. And we started working on, you know, investment strategies, um, I learned a lot in my own journey because at 22, you really can't plan that far ahead and think your plan is going to be viable. Um, you know, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I didn't own a home. I didn't own a car. You know, so, you know, what I envisioned for my life at 22 obviously, you know, changed as I got older, but I didn't adapt and adjust my plans until I got much older. And so, you know, I'm going to share a lot of valuable lessons that I learned on my own journey. So, you know, the question is, when should you start planning for your retirement? Um, I have a 22-year-old and a 20-year-old. I have uh, children of my own that I have planning for their retirements now. Um, it's, it's never too early. It can only be too late. Mm. So when should you start? Immediately. There's nobody who's on this call who shouldn't be considering after, hang, after hanging up, if you're listening on the phone today, starting your plan by tomorrow. Mm. Um, and and, when, you start, when, you, and you, when you think about it, it makes sense anyway, because the sooner you plan, the less you have to save every year, and the, the lower the interest rate you have to find or lower the return you have to find on your investments to make it uh, become very fruitful for you later on. Um, 
And clearly, the sooner you start, uh, if you do happen to have great investments and you are able to put a lot more away, then um, you can retire much earlier than somebody else will be able to. So, you know, you, you, have to, you have to consider that the average American spends at least 20 years in retirement. So if you get started early, um, for instance, if you got started by age 25, which is, a, you know, if you have kids or if you're still young on the call, if you got started by age 25 um, and you saved about less than $5,000 a year, then you'd have a million dollars by age 65 if you can get a, an average annual return of only 7%. So, hmm. yeah, we, you know, the, the sooner the better. The sooner the better, definitely. So are you speaking um, to the average person when, when you're giving this information now? Because the average person is working with a paycheck. And at the age 25, yeah. right? At so at, even at the age 25... Mm-hmm. Well, one, what, we're going to talk about that too, and I, I think one of the, the mistakes that we make, and it's interesting, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine yesterday about this, and you know, he was telling me about a, a, another wealth uh, development person he was talking to who said he had this concept of how you can save money, and he said when you go to restaurants, don't order the appetizer; it's not worth it, and you know, cut back on this and cut back on that. And I have an issue with that. You know, um, a lot of people have what I call the deferred life enjoyment plan where you talk about sacrificing now for later, but the average person doesn't save enough for later to even maintain the lifestyle that they have currently. And so what ends up happening is um, you sacrifice all the great life experiences now, and then you don't have enough to even have what you had now later. Right? So I say, don't live the life that you can afford create the income to afford the lifestyle that you want. And it's mm. just a to- totally different way of, of approaching it because it takes the exact same amount of effort to barely get by as it does to have an abundance, right? So it's really about knowing what the opportunities are, um, taking advantage of those opportunities, and putting your time, resources, and energy only in the places that will give you the types of returns you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So when people say I don't have enough, I don't buy that. You know, like I said, I have, you know, um, young adult children, and I've created a situation for them to be able to do that. I didn't kick them out the door at 18 and say you have to go live on your own and pay high New York City rent. You right. know, I'm like, you can stay here. Um, but if you're going to stay here, you're going to put money away for your retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, you can stay here, but you're going to invest that money. You're not going to just blow that money on, on fancy clothes. Mm-hmm. And, and all these other things. You're going to get those things that you want too, because again, I don't believe in the deferred life enjoyment plan, but you're also going to be disciplined enough to be able to take a percentage of that and put it away so that you don't have to worry about uh, when you're 40, you know, trying to scramble. Um, okay. Because to get that same return, just to put in perspective, if, to, if you wait until you're 40 to start saving, you need to put away 15000 over $15,000 a year you know, uh, to to really compensate for your retirement. Okay, so let's look at that 22, 25-year-old that's coming out of college, getting their first job. And let us just pick a number, forty to $50,000 range. You know, some might come out making 60, 70, 80, but let's just say forty to $50,000. Yep. In that income bracket, if they're still staying home with mom and dad, 
what are you requiring of them in terms of saving in order to get that really good jump start towards having that million dollar plus uh, when they're ready to retire at the age of 40? 10% of their income, 10% of their gross income. Okay. Which is not really asking a lot. Right. So if you're mm-hmm. talking about fifty fifty thousand dollars, that's five thousand dollars. Ten percent of your that when you when you put it in that perspective, if you're staying home or even if you're living with, with roommates, because that's I mean, that's a real common thing now. When you know, when we were younger, you know, it was all about being independent and today, uh, you know, they're more collaborative and, and a little more wise in that regard. Um you know, to put away ten percent is not asking too much. If they can't right. live off of seventy percent of their income and put 10% away for their retirement, 10% away for uh, emergency and 10% towards uh, other investing for other things. If they don't have that 30% available, then they need to find another job or or get a second job while they're young and have the energy. Right. But you know, most times they get that first job and the first thing they want to do is run down to the car dealership. (laughs) Yeah. You well, know. you know, and it's interesting because I've had that conversation with you know, my daughter, especially, you know, the first thing she was, she got her license early and she said, you know, as soon as I get a job, I'm getting a car. And, you know, I'm I'm so glad I've had conversations with them throughout their lives. You know, as they've matured, certain concepts became more clear and just being able to, you know, when she turned 19, 20, to sit with her and look at the numbers and see what really made sense, and see what it really costs to have a car, because it's not just the purchase of the car. You know, the insurance at her age, you know, was astronomical. Um, the maintenance and gas, and when she added all that up, you know, because she has other aspirations too. She wants, she's telling me she's going to get a condo soon. And when she looked mm-hmm. at, you know, what it takes to be able to get that, and then also, you know, having that idea in her mind, she doesn't want to have a job forever, and what it will take for her to be able to live comfortably um, off of her investments or to even create an, an, a situation where she creates passive income, she realized that a car was not a priority. Right, right, right. And, right. and, and you know, my oldest son learned that early. He said he didn't even bother getting his license. He said, I live in New York City. He said, I don't need a car. You know, for him, you know, and I'm pushing him to get a license just so he can, you know, rent a car when he needs one. But, um, you know, just that idea, he said, I can get anywhere I need. He uses Uber. You know, he's the Uber king now. He uses Uber and, and public transportation, and he gets anywhere he needs to go. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's having those conversations about the difference between price and value, too, right? When you, you know, I've had that conversation with my children from the time they were young. When they wanted to purchase something, you know, Daddy, can, can you get me this? And I'll, I'll have the conversation. I'll say, well, what does it cost? And they'll say what it costs. I'll say, do you really think it's worth the price that they're charging? Because there's no value there. And sometimes they would, you know, hem and haw, but then sometimes, you know, it was after a while they understood that some things weren't w- worth the cost of paying it. And so they've always been saving. I started them with a the little piggy bank when they were young, and so they mm-hmm. have that mindset. You know, and I think, again, we need to really push that, you know, with, with our young people um, instead of, right, you know, and, and, and if they can't and they stay in your house and charge them rent and you, and you put that money away for retirement for them. If you don't okay. feel that that discipline. Now, okay, so we're, we're, we're focused right now in on that early education of them young men and young women coming out of college, 22, 25 years old, in that range, trying to take at least 30% of their uh, gross No, no, income. they just need 10, 10%, 10% towards the retirement. 
Okay, ten percent per time. You said something about investment, and was what was the last thing? And, and an emergency fund, right? Because mm-hmm. emergencies happen. Um, right. You know, we have, especially in their lifetime, there will be probably a few economic downturns. There will be, you know, all kinds of things that happen, you know, throughout the course of their lives. And so mm-hmm. it's important that they have something, you know, to be able to sustain themselves. Okay. So now they they saved that five thousand dollars that first year. What are we investing yeah. it in? Well, I mean, there are different vehicles. And, I, and one thing is we can't get hung up on the old model. So that kind of leads into to my second point I wanted to talk about, which is abandon, abandoning all the old rules of thumb. Mm-hmm. Right? So there used to be this, this – when I, when I was uh, – this is how – I sat with a financial planner again when I was 22, and this is what he explained to me. He said to me that the stock market was a, a phenomenal place to put my money. He said because um, every – Every five years that I would leave my money in the stock market and gain compounded interest, he said every five years it would lose 20% of the risk. And so that if I left it there for 25 years, then it was, it was like having zero risk. And based upon certain statistics post-depression, you know, there was a cycle that it, it appeared that 25-year cycles was a safe way to invest your money. And so if you look at a lot of the old traditional um, uh, 401ks, IRAs, TDAs, they were really based on that 25-year uh, mark where if you leave that money in there 25 years, when you take it out, um, you know, you should have this nest egg that was safe and it was, uh, the losses were mitigated by the ups and downs of that whole 25-year stretch. We don't mm-hmm. live in a time we don't live in a time where that holds true anymore. We live because we have, I call it the, the age of, of um, leveraged acceleration because of the change of globalization, technology, um, you know, the way the world has, has changed. We see an acceleration of growth and an acceleration of decline. And so we live in an extremely volatile time where certain investments will skyrocket for a period of time. And then the world changes so dramatically by a disruptive technology or a disruptive industry that it bottoms out completely and then something else and something else. So investments become unviable much more rapidly. And so that idea of when I'm 25, putting my money in this and just leaving it there forever, you can't think like that anymore. And so you'll have to stay current on the investments that make sense. So are there are there certain blue chip stocks that will last forever? No, but even blue chip stocks don't because companies again become unviable. So um, the S and P 500 is pretty steady. So when you talk about an index fund, um, because the, the actual 500 companies change and not the S and P 500 itself. Right. So an index fund is pretty steady over the long term. Um, I say play around with different mutual funds, but if you go on, on Morningstar.com, you can look at they'll they'll list them in order, and we talked about this on a previous show, mm-hmm. um, where you can you can actually look at what's making lots of money now. And I say use a one year strategy to get to take advantage of capital gains tax, and and if it has to be moved, then move it and keep moving it and keep moving it. You're still going to get compounded interest. It still works the same way. Uh, when we see things today like the lending club, the lending club is a, is a phenomenal and prospering kiva things like that, where you become a lender, um, where now since interest rates have gone up, you can get as high as 30% return on, on a, a, a little loan. And so, you know, depending on what the economy brings us, we have to be adaptable and adjust to um, different forms of income. I think over the long term, real estate holds, you know, value much better than 
a lot of those other investments. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about where to put the money, you know, further down. But that's one rule of thumb we have to abandon that we can just at 25 or at 30 or at 40 or at 50, just drop it one place and think it's going to suffice um, until we pass away. It's not going to happen. Right. Another rule of, another rule of thumb that we have to uh, abandon is the idea that we can rely and live well on a retirement plan, a retirement package from our job. um, You know, the pension plan and social security, those will not suffice. You know, that you will not get enough income to live the lifestyle that you've enjoyed uh, while you were working at some job. Uh, and so we have to, again, begin to think of not investing something now that we cash in on later, but creating passive income sources that continue to pay us long into our retirement. Okay. Um, another, okay. another thing that we have to abandon as a rule of thumb, one of the rules of thumb that you'll hear from a lot of financial experts is that you'll need to uh, save enough to be able to have 70% of your annual pre-retirement income to live comfortably. And that is based on a couple of things. That's based on one, that your mortgage is completely paid off. Right. Two, that you, that you remain in excellent health. And three, mm-hmm. that you intend to downsize your lifestyle in retirement. Now, none of us can predict what our health will be, but statistically, most people decline as they get older, which means that your health care costs will go up. Um, in terms of having the mortgage paid off, you don't know if you, if you had to refinance later on in life for some reason. You don't know that. And three, if I have more time on my hands, I certainly don't want to downsize my lifestyle. I want to increase my lifestyle. So we're going to have to get rid of that rule. Um, the other thing is one of the rules of thumb that we have to abandon is the median expected retirement age. Um, people expect to retire at 65, but studies show that the actual age of retirement for most people is actually 61 because of layoffs and health issues that cut their career short. Um, and so we got to really look at, at you know, certain things that we thought were, were tried and true that we plan towards. So we have to really get rid of that uh, when we start to plan. Okay. Okay. Now, there are ways to accelerate the mortgage payoff, right? So if yes. we're not looking to downsize, we're taking that off the table, we should be uh, in a position that we are mortgage-free so that even if we have less income coming in, 70%, of our last, say we were making one hundred and twenty thousand, um, you know, seventy percent might be eighty, eighty thousand. So, you know, you might be using, uh, you might not have a mortgage, and that might have been another thirty thousand dollars you're paying a year on your mortgage. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you still yep. keep the same lifestyle. Right, and, and you your children should be at that point should be grown and out of your house. So that's you know tremendous um, increase in your your income as well because you won't be spending on feeding and, you know, uh, clothing and children, everything and, else. right. And whatever event, right. Right. So at that point you'll, you'll see when you hit your fifties, um, you'll see a boost in your, your income that you're able to invest into your future as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean you should wait until that point. And I know again, right. it's difficult, you know, to see where that money is going to come from, but it has to be a part of how you budget your money. Exactly. Exactly. 
Okay. Okay. I think I got that. And we're not looking to wait to 61 years old to retire. That's not what this program no, is about tonight. No, hopefully, hopefully not, right? I mean, yeah. if, you're, if, all right, if you're 50 already, then, okay, let's shoot for 61, right? But if you're, if you're a young person, if you're in your 20s, your 30s, or even, you know, 40, like, you know, you should, you have to be more aggressive. The, the closer you are to the age you want to retire, the more mm-hmm. aggressive you're going to have to be. Does right? that mean Which, you have to take more risks? Yeah, which is kind of crazy because when you're younger, you can afford to take more risks um, because if you lose, you have more time to make it up. You know, that's the the thinking. Um, But when you're younger, you really don't have to take tremendous risks because you have time on your side. You know, so it's it's this weird thing. You have time on your side, so you're able to take more risks. But because Mm -hmm. you're younger, you don't have to take the risk, so why bother, right? But when you're older, you have to be more aggressive if that is your intention to retire within a few years, you know. Um, it, are, are the things more risky? Yes. Are, but do we, can you find things that are, are moderately risky? Absolutely. You know, I don't think you have to, you know, put all your money in, in the lottery, you know. Um, again, there, there are, are good mutual funds that on the short term, you know, last year I had a mutual fund that, that paid me 100, over 100% return. Um, and so there are things out there. Will it last? No, absolutely not. I, and I expected it to last longer than it did, but it dropped when, uh, actually when, when Trump got elected and the stock market, you know, increased, it started to go down inverse, it had an inverse relationship. Um, but then it was time to pull that out and put it into something else, you know? So again, not thinking that we need to drop that money into one thing, but we need to find the things that give us the best return and keep moving it and moving it and moving it. And I know that is so contradictory to what most people have heard from financial planners. You know, their thing is about being risk adverse and taking the least amount of chances, but you get the least amount of return and then you suffer for it later. Mm-hmm. So uh, my next thing is talking about, you know, if you're going to create a plan, most people make a, a huge mistake and they make a plan on their own. Um, after meeting with a financial planner one time, I made my own plan at 22 years old, you know, the first time I made a plan. And, and you know, again, there were so many things in my life that I couldn't visualize at that time. Uh, but one thing that's important is that if you have a spouse, if you have a life partner, you need to include them in your retirement plan because you mm-hmm. have to consider certain things. Do you plan on retiring simultaneously or is one of you going to continue working while one is retired? Um, that makes a difference in how you plan. That makes a difference mm-hmm. in how you're going to use your time, right? It makes a difference in how you're going to relate to each other. Um, do you have the same ideas for what you want to do with your newfound free time? Yeah. You know, one person, right? If, if your idea is, well, I'm going to travel the world, or, you know, their idea is, well, I just want to stay home and I want to take this new course, or, I thought I was going to just spend it with you sitting watching TV. Then that's a problem. You need to have these discussions so that it doesn't create tension after you have this newfound free time with each other. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to, to have a conversation with your spouse. Um, mature children, if they're old enough to, to really understand what retirement means, you have to have a conversation with them about what will happen if you can't live independently um, at a certain age, what do you expect from them? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's a conversation most people don't have, you know, and 
you know, I didn't have that conversation with my parents. And uh, when my father, uh, who was the last surviving parent I had, when he got sick, mm-hmm. you know, luckily I was, I was in a position to be able to be there for him and, you know, cater to his needs and take him to his doctor's appointments. And I had another sister who lived close by who was able to, to help out. But we never had that conversation, and it was so bizarre and seemingly unnatural suddenly that, you know, this person who took care of me needed to be cared for, you know, was yes. and, um, you know, and we just, we just never had that conversation. And then when it was a point where it was like you couldn't live independently, we had the conversation, and, well, you need to come stay with one of us. And he's like, no, I want to live independently. But you need to have that conversation before somebody, you know, is, is in that position so that it's a smooth transition and everybody knows what to expect. So that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you need to, you definitely need to have a professional uh, financial advisor to help you out so they can guide you towards uh, making the best financial decisions based upon your desired outcomes and the time frame that you're looking at. And does that mean you only speak to one? Not necessarily. You can speak to several people and get different opinions, and I think you mm-hmm. should. And over time, definitely keep revisiting, um, you know, your plan and what you were doing. So, oh, stay right there for one minute. You sure. say seek out a professional financial advisor. If you was telling this to a young a young man or a young lady who's twenty five years old, where would you direct them to find someone who would be um, suitable for for their needs? You know, I know you said try a few, but how would you direct them well, to? I tell people the, the best way to go to me is with a trusted referral, right? Because if you go, you, you can Google, you know, financial planners or you can Google, you know, advisors. You, you can Google all day, and, and whoever has the best marketing is the person who goes to the top, and that doesn't mean they're necessarily the best. Right. Um, so – you know, to me, the, the best way is always get a trusted referral, somebody who has u- utilized the services of someone and said, I've gotten a, a great outcome, and, you know, uh, I think you should sit with this person. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have to be very weary when you choose a, a financial planner because unless you're paying them, they're not really working for you. Right. And, you know, and we need to be clear on that. And I think a lot of people, because they get these offers to sit with a financial planner absolutely free, um, you know, we always free is better, but free very rarely is better. Um, because if you go to a, a, most financial planners you don't pay, they're getting paid by fund companies and such. And so they'll offer you the funds that give them the best commissions. And the same thing when you talk about insurance brokers or not insurance brokers, I'm sorry, insurance agents. Insurance agents will sell you the plan that gives them the best, you know, um, commissions. And so we have to be careful when you go to financial advisors that you don't pay. And so right. when you pay in a financial advisor, they have a fiduciary responsibility to give you the best advice. Okay. So the two points we want to take out of there to the listeners is to um, find a financial advisor who is highly recommended by someone who they have done right by, and yes. two, uh, pay them yes. because they work for you at that point. They have a fiduciary right to look after your best interest and not the uh, the stocks or the the bonds or anything else that's going on. They have a right to look after your uh, your fiduciary right to look after your well being, your financial 
uh, help. Correct. Okay. All right. So I think it moves us to the next uh, a level of, of thought. When we talk about retiring, we sh- like you have taught us over and over again, we should have the end in mind. We have to start with the end, the, the end in mind, right? Uh, meaning right. we need to know what we if we're going to retire, when we're going to when are we going to retire, and how much do I need when I retire? Am I correct? Absolutely. Okay, so talk about that. Okay, so how much you need, which is really the, the, the crux of it, because, again, we don't want to go back to a situation where, well, this is what I saved, so this is a lifestyle I have to live, right, and then end up eating cat food and such. There's two, fact, two main factors that you have to look at to determine how much you'll need to retire. The first thing is how long you're going to live, right, because none of us, you know, we, that's something we don't even consider, right, how long you're going to live and how you intend to live. So let me just deal with those two things really quickly. Um, Surveys show that over half of pre-retirees, and pre-retirees, again, are people in their 50s, underestimate how long they're going to live. And women underestimate more than men do. Mm. So according to the Social Security Administration, the average 65-year-old male, the average male is 65 years old today, can expect to live to age 84 and the average female of the same age today can expect to make it to 87. Mm. So minimally, now there's this thing, average, you know, is not maximum, right? So right. average takes into account that there are some older and there are some younger. So mm-hmm. what we also have to look at in that number is that one out of five of the 65-year-old males and one out of three of those 65-year-old females will actually live to age 90. Wow. So, so people we, are living. People are living much longer. My my wife's, both of her grandmothers are alive. You know, one is 112, and the other one's 96, and they're strong. So people are living much longer today. You know, you know, we have this in our mind. You know, when Social Security was created, the average person died at 65. And so, for some reason, we've held on to that number. You know, you collected Social Security at 62. You died at 65. It was three years of retirement you had to worry about, and so most people were okay. But if we're retiring now, actually a little bit younger, at 61, and we're living into our late 80s and possibly into our 90s, that's mm. a big stretch that we have to account for. Yeah, that's almost 30 years. Absolutely. And, you know, the life expectancy is getting even greater as medical technology in- improves. So that means by the time, you know, I'm, I'll be 50 this year, by the time I'm 65, the, the life expectancy probably will easily be 90 or more. And so, again, the later you were born, you know, uh, because of, again, advancements in science and technology, the longer you're probably going to live. Right, right. So we're talking about a young man, a young woman starts off in their working career at age of 22 to 25. If they wanted to retire early and say at, I want to use 50, that would give yeah, them 25 to 27 years of, of, of 28 years of working. So less than 30 years. But then yeah. their expectancy to live at uh, would be almost close to another 90. 35 years or maybe 40 yeah, years or more. more. Yeah, 40. So they yeah, would be in retirement 40. 
Yeah, they would be in retirement. They'll they'll be living in retirement longer than they worked. Right. In their career path. Right. Now that so, is, so and that's mm. that's heavy, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> two two things. One, um, right, we said was how long the person could live. So now we, we looking at we're looking at a good forty years of retirement if they retire at fifty. But the second part of that is how they want to live. Right. So if yes. they plan on, you know, getting a PhD because they just want knowledge or they plan on traveling the world for the experience or they plan on building a dream home and not the starter home that they have, it's going to cost a lot more money than, you know, just uh, barely scratching by. Mm-hmm. So one thing that when I, when I look at retirement, I, I guess I look at it a lot different than what most people do. I say you retire from a job that you no longer want or no longer can do. You don't retire mm-hmm. from passive income. And right. I don't know if people get that, right? You retire mm-hmm. from a job, but you don't retire from passive income. So passive income are sources of income that are derived from you setting something up and working hard once, and then it pays you residual income over time. And so there's no retirement from, uh, you know, if, you have, if you're holding securities, there's no retirement if you're collecting rent. There's no retirement, you know, if you're collecting dividends. There's no retirement if you're collecting royalties. And so we have to really, you know, reexamine this whole, this, this whole concept of what retirement is. And so it's easy. When you look at it from that perspective, it's easy to retire from working at age 50 and still have sources of income that not only maintain the lifestyle you have but should increase the lifestyle that you're living as you get older, as those uh, passive sources of income, uh, you know, change and become more productive and, and more profitable for you. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so the second part of it is one estimate, and I say estimate on the long term how how you. It's better to estimate longer uh, than you're going to live than underestimate how long you're going to live because it's 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 great to have excess money because you just pass it on to your heirs, right? But it's right. a horrible thing to fall short and, and ask your heirs to give you money. Mm-hmm. So two things. Again, you want to predict that you're going to increase your lifestyle and you're going to determine how long you're going to live. When you predict the lifestyle that you want to live, then you have to – one thing we don't account for is, is inflation, right? So now – If we say, and this is a a very, uh, I guess, uh, liberal estimate of 3% annual, um, because now it's close to zero, right? If we say 3% inflation rate annually, and if we say 40 years of retirement in the example that you gave, if we do 40 times 3, that's 120%, everything will cost 120% more than it does now in 40 years. And so when you're calculating what your budget will be, you got to calculate it with the expenses increasing by 3% annually. Mm-hmm. See, I think what people do is they look at the, the cost of what it would be to live that lifestyle today and then just fast forward it another 20, 30 years, and you can't do that because you have to make an adjustment. Right, right. Well, if you're making that same adjustment on your, uh, on your expenses, wouldn't it be wise to also look at the revenue, your income source, 
and see that you are right. you're, you're matching that um, inflation rate, at least doubling it. You know, um, with your income, you have to, you, you, you have to look at right, any, everything you do has to then beat that inflation rate, right? So that's a great point. Any any investment you have has to be able to beat the inflation rate, taxes, and fees. Now, what I usually advise my students is that you shouldn't really invest in anything that's going to pay you a less than a 10% return. If it's paying you less than a 10% return, right, then it's actually giving you, when you talk about the adjustment for inflation, it's actually less than 7 it's, it's, It'll be 7% if it's 10%. 7% gives us that number that we talked about in the beginning. If you were 25 and you had 7%, by the time you're 65, you would have uh, gotten a million dollars. Mm-hmm. So we, we're shooting for 10%, minimal. Right. Otherwise, it's a waste of your money's time. Hmm. Right? So you want to, just like you want to use your time wisely, you want to use your money's time wisely as well. Hmm. Well, I, I'm looking at this thing from a realistic standpoint that is, it is doable. But mm-hmm. I think at the beginning, as you are, we're educating our children and we allow them to stay home, because many of them really want to go out and get that independence, but to be able to stay home for a couple of years and they're making a decent salary instead of doing 10%, they may have to do a little bit more because yeah. to get over that, uh, like you said, the inflation rate, the taxes and the fees, you have to invest heavier while you can, because when you start getting those other expenses, i.e. family and, mm-hmm. and so forth, and buying a home, um, you won't have that, uh, that, that cash flow to save as much as maybe as you did when you was 25 years old. Right. You know, I think we all have faced that, that, uh, that challenge. Right. Yeah. One thing that you, you also have to look at is areas where you could be fragile, um, meaning, so we talked about inflation, but, you know, one of the things that I have to repeat again is loss of, of health, not only of you, but of your spouse, um, your, your death or the death of your spouse. You know, one thing my, my father, we didn't have the discussion either. We hadn't planned for. Um, my mother passed away, I think, uh, two years after she retired. And, you know, it caught my father off guard because in all of their planning, they had accounted for a dual income of retirement accounts and things like that so that they would have, you know, this really comfortable lifestyle, you know, as they moved into retirement. Um, so at two years into their retirement, my mother passed away. That was a significant loss of income. Mm-hmm. So now he had to make, you know, major adjustments, you know, in his own lifestyle because he didn't account for that. You know, and I know, it's, again, it's hard to imagine, you know, the loss of a spouse or the sickness of a spouse, but, those are realities, and, you know, it's better to plan for them and they not happen than not to plan for them and be stuck in a situation uh, that's bad. Um, yes. Another thing is that you have to plan for is the devaluation or the loss of an asset. So, for instance, when we look at the average person's 401K, when the recession hit, the average person lost 50% of the value of their 401K. That's unrecoverable in their lifetime. When we look at the... Um, devaluation of, of real estate when the market had crashed, you know, a lot of people ended up losing the, the assets, but if they were able to hold on to it, 
Now it's beginning to recover, but depending on where you fell, if you were a baby boomer toward the beginning of the baby boomer stage, then that hurt you, and it, it delayed your retirement significantly. Mm-hmm. So we, you have to be able to account for ups and downs, um, you know, in the economy and, you know, the, the loss, potential loss of the income source. Right, So you right. have to create redundancies in your plan to account for those things. Is this what they talk about, um, and I hear it oftentimes, is having the seven streams of income? Uh, you know, I know. You know it, I, yeah, and I get that concept, and I don't know if it necessarily has to be. You know, um, you want you want a, a, a somewhat diverse portfolio, um, but it really that that diversity shouldn't be based on just spreading it out. It should really be based on on what the economy is offering. So, for instance. You know, they used to say you should have a good mix of stocks, bonds, um, you know, real estate, collectibles. When we look at collectibles today, collectibles are almost worthless because the, because of the Internet. And so collectibles are valuable because of scarcity, but the Internet brought all those scarce items to the world, and we realize they're not so scarce. And right. so it devalued, right, devalued a lot of collectibles. Um, when we look at um, precious metals, precious metals, you know, the gold prices plummeted once again, like I told everybody it would, um, and doesn't really hold value over a long period of time. Um, also, you know, we have to understand like bonds, for instance. Bonds are only good in a market where the interest rates are high. And since interest rates are near zero, to buy bonds today just because it's diversified doesn't make sense. It's not going to give you the aggressive returns that we're looking for. And mm-hmm. so, there's, you know, it has to be a balance, again, of uh, because that's about risk. They say it's risk mitigation when you when you create these multiple streams of income um, by diversifying, you mitigate. But you're not mitigating really because you're not gaining. Mm. And I'd rather take a chance in the areas that are flourishing, and just you know when I and, and have an exit strategy for them, right? So for instance, I, I told you I had a mutual fund that was paying over 100% return, and when when uh, Trump got elected, it it plummeted. Mm-hmm. But I had an exit strategy. I said, well, if this thing goes down to 70%, I'm out. I'm out, right? And so when it hit 70%, I got out. And then, you know, now I'm waiting for things to turn on. So I'm looking for another place to park that money. But you have to do it that way, I think. I don't think you should say, well, I'm going to have a certain amount here and a certain percentage here. Because I, people have plans like that, percentage-wise, certain amount of stocks, and percentage-wise, certain amount in, in bonds. But it doesn't work that way, not, not successfully in the way the economy works today. Right, right. But, you know, I think I want to actually turn it back a notch and go back to how much money a person needs to have for retirement if they're retiring at the age of 50 and the expectancy of life may be to anywhere between 85 and 90 years, which means there's another 35 years or 40 years of life beyond retirement. If you say that 70% of our current income that is holding us down and taking care of all our bills, we should have uh, per year still coming in somehow. Uh, When you talk about how much, are you talking about a total amount or are you talking about annual revenue coming in in our retirement? All right. So what I'm I'm saying is 
that let, let's use the number let's use the number fifty thousand before. So if a person mm-hmm. has a lifestyle that's supported on fifty thousand, let's talk about net, not even gross, mm-hmm. because gross is irrelevant when you're when you're retired, right? So if you're talking about a person, let's let's say with fifty thousand net and not even gross, because that means they're probably making a hundred thousand because half of it got taken in taxes. So we don't care about the other fifty thousand because we're not getting earned income anymore. We only need the fifty thousand, and we only needed say 70% of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're talking about what? 35,000. 35, mm-hmm. All right. So 35,000 is what we, we know we need to maintain the lifestyle that we would have currently. Right. So we're anticipating that we want to do other things. So we got to look at, if we say we want a vacation quarterly, that means four vacations. What does four vacations cost also? If we understand that the average person buys a new car every eight years, in that 40-year span, we're going to get five cars. We have to account for the five cars, mm. right, unless you do a used car, and then you buy one every six years. So let's say we're going to get new cars. That's every five years we have to account for that. Um, we, we have to make the adjustment, again, based on, Inflation, right? So every year we add three percent more to the thirty-five k. If we just wanted to maintain, but if we don't want to maintain, we want to increase. Let's say we want to increase our lifestyle, and we realize to finance it, it's going to take an additional fifteen thousand. So that's fifty k. Back to your fifty k number. And if we so fifty k times forty, mm. right? So we then we know we that's need two million dollars. Two million dollars, yeah, yeah, right. This is well, real. So I think that, 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 but, 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 I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that, see, when we, when we go on those increments that you just talked about, Haru, that is very clear, definite planning. That's projection, and that's being real about where you are and what you want, what your expectations are. When you get to that, when you on that level, when you say $2 million, I think the average person listening to the show is going to say, whoa. At this point in my uh, life, so, we're talking about the people who are living check by check. Yes, but let me right. but let me clarify that. You don't have to save two million dollars. So I think that's the mistake that people are making. They think because, mm-hmm. and again, I have to go back to my idea of retirement. Retirement is from the job. I'm saying the total is two million dollars, but we don't have to look at it as two million dollars. All we need is fifty k annually. If that makes sense. So our passive income streams need to be able to produce 50K annually. We don't need to save $2 million mm-hmm. by the time we're ready to retire. All we have to know is our number, right? Our number is 50K. So what, what sources of income will give us 50K? And I'm saying that the, the mix of, and again, I think real estate is one of the absolute best, you know, stores of wealth that, anybody can have because it, in most cases it appreciates just doing nothing but sitting there. It can create <laughs> constant, constant revenue, um, right. By providing rental income. And in case of an emergency, you can borrow against that. If the interest rates are low and invest it in something that's paying a higher return so that you can pay back that money and still have income coming in from the dividends, from the investment that you made. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so when we look at it from that perspective, I'm not telling anybody stop putting money away now to save two million dollars. So by the time you're you're 50, you don't have to continue saving 
and you'll have, you know, all this money sitting there that you can live off of. You know, of course, that's mm-hmm. insurmountable. That's overwhelming. Right, mm-hmm. right. You don't have to look at it that way, but we have to create a, a nest egg, a cushion, so that if we don't get the $50,000 annual, we have something to live off of as we shift things around in our passive income streams to be able to, um, again, generate that money that we need to live off of. Right. Well, here's the thing that as you were speaking, it came to me that the savings part is about that emergency fund. That's yes. The savings part is about that vacation. It's about that car. That's the, right. you know, now if we situate ourselves where we have the passive income coming in to take care of all of our living expenses, but yes. we have a nest egg of savings that take care of the vacation, the cars, the gifts we give to our grandchildren, uh, you know, the vacations is big. You know, when you get older, yes. you got time, you got to enjoy life. So we right. have to save for that. You know, you have to have that per year. That right. has nothing to do with the money that you'll be uh, uh, deriving from your royalties or your rent or your right. dividends. Exactly. I think most people misunderstand that. I think they, they think if I, I got to put a little away today so that, you know, I can live off of that and no money's ever going to come in again besides my Social Security check and whatever, <laughs> you know, retirement plan I had. And, and you can't think like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that's, we are not taught how to manage money. We're not taught mm-hmm. how to make money. You know, and we're not taught how to uh, save money. And, right. and of course, we have not really been taught how to invest money. So right. these conversations that we have with you are so invaluable. And this is why we continuously come every third Thursday with this type of conversation for the benefit of our listening audience. And Rafiki and I, we will tell you, we are at the head of the class. We listen over and over. We throw things at each other so that we can make sure we have a clear understanding, you know, and we, uh, we hope that our listening audience is doing the same. Well, speaking about our listening audience, those of you who are tuned in via the Internet and you want to make some comments or ask some questions, weigh in on the conversation, you can call in at 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. Nine four three three six one eight. The chat room is open in Blog Talk Radio right now. You can inbox us on Facebook, and uh, we're going to go to a very quick commercial break. The fluff want to talk to you, and um, we have uh, Haru a special surprise for you. We have um, Zendra's on the line. Zendra, Hello. your mic is live. Check in. Hi. 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 <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Yes. So we just wanted to give you um, some airtime, Zendra, just to, you know, talk with Haru about the your your experience at the Women Doing It Big, and um, you you made some very potent comments when we were talking, and I just want you to, from your mouth to Haru's ears, share. Um, well, we didn't get a chance to speak because um, I've just been so busy with some other stuff. But I just wanted to thank you for sponsoring me to go to that event. Um, it was a very powerful weekend. Um, I was able to be around other women of color who who are entrepreneurs, and I got to get some very valuable information. I got to be inspired by women who are 
in the struggle because sometimes it's hard being an entrepreneur. It's not something that's common. Um, and I was able to be inspired by what uh, these women were doing, what Tiana's doing. Mm-hmm. She's building an empire. And that shows me that it's possible. So I yes. just wanted to thank you for that experience. And um, it definitely, again, shifted my mindset. Um, since I've known you, you have helped me to shift my mindset, and that just took it to a whole nother level, and I got really inspired. So thank you again for that opportunity. You're so welcome. So wow. I think what we are doing here every third Thursday with Haru is just what Zendra said is a mind shift. And just even looking at the possibilities of retirement, what retirement really means. And Haru, you hit a nerve when you said you're not talking about retirement from the job. You're talking about a lifestyle. So we're going to go to just very, very quick commercial, and we'll be right back. So get your pens and papers. This gives you a moment to go get that drink of water. You can come back and stop sweating because it's not that hard. The Keys 107. We'll be right back. The Fluff presents the alphabet is available on Amazon.com and on Kindle. So get your copy today. For more information, visit them online, www.thefluffamily.com. So I hope you've had enough time to go get your drink of water, your drink of juice, and get your pen and paper ready. Come back, sit down. We're back in class. The session teacher is in the in the classroom. Haruna Ket is here, and he's just telling us some very makes sense, I think, um, advice on how you can retire. And and I think what I'm taking away is you don't have to look at it like, well, when I get 65 or today, when I get 70, I'm going to retire and then I'm going to need this. No, no, you know, he's saying, look at it right now, wherever you are in your life. And it's not about having a million dollars. It's about taking what you have and turning it around. Some of you are listening on the phone. I see you on the switchboard. Welcome. If you want to talk, you have to press the number one on your keypad so that we know you want to speak. Okay, Haru. <laughs> well, I guess we want to go to part two of the uh, speaking. Yeah. yeah. Talk so I want about to talk about the, yeah, the five biggest mistakes people make in planning. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, the first one I have to reiterate is really the underestimating the life expectancy or overestimating the life expectancy of a spouse. You know, that is so critical, you know, um, because, you know, everything got suddenly cut in half. You know, the ability to generate income got cut in half. So that's one thing that you, you definitely have to plan for. The second thing is underestimating unforeseen expenses like home repair. You know, you have to account for that. Um, I know after 20 years of, of having my home, I want to replace everything. All, you know, all the appliances got old all of a sudden, and you know, everything just looks old, and you're going to want to be able to replace major appliances, repair your home, 
Um, we talked a little bit earlier about new automobile purchases or just automobile repairs. Um, so that people underestimate that. That has to be accounted for in your planning. Uh, a big thing that people don't account for that can really offset their savings attempt is the debt that they accumulate now. Mm. Interest rates went up recently, and people will see that reflected in any adjustable rate um, uh, that they have, whether it's a credit card or an adjustable rate mortgage. And in 2017, it is expected that the feds will raise the interest rate three more times. And so you have to understand that now where a credit card uh, has the, the default rate at 32%, that's going to significantly wipe out any type of retirement savings you have at 7, 10, 12, or 15%. And so you have to be able to deal with that debt early so that it doesn't cut into your ability to save for your retirement. Um, the other thing that uh, we have to deal with is people overestimating their ability to work after what people consider traditional retirement. So 70% of American workers think that they'll continue to work in some capacity after they retire, whether it's a Walmart greeter or somewhere in the service industry. But it turns out that most people can't find a suitable job. And mm. only about 25% of retirees actually do work that wanted to work. And as we see this transition from the service industry becoming almost fully automated, and I'm telling you it will, as they continue to raise the minimum wage for service industry jobs, you're going to see the acceleration of automation just wiping those jobs out completely. It will be almost impossible to find part-time service industry work as a retiree. Mm. And so it goes back again to, you know, if you're retired from a job, then you should be retired from a job anyway. And being, you know, now a business owner perhaps, taking that hobby skill uh, that desire for entrepreneurship you had when you were younger and turning it into a business where you sit home while other people work for you and you collect money, uh, whether you own a piece of property that somebody else manages for you and you sit home and keep the money, um, or, again, your money's in securities that's paying you, you know, dividends. Um, the other thing, number five, is not accounting for the increase in the cost of living, and we, we went over that, you know, significantly, um, with inflation, fees, and taxes. So even though you, you won't be getting taxed on earned income anymore, the taxes on other things, and if we listen to Donald Trump, he's talking about creating these tariffs. Tariffs are taxes, by the way. Mm -hmm. so he, he talked about putting a 35% tariff on cars imported from Germany. So that Mercedes-Benz you wanted, forget about it. Um, he talked about putting a 35% tariff on anything made in China, which is 90% of the stuff that most people have in their home. So we have to account for, you know, changes uh, in economic policy, taxes, fees, and inflation. So let's review the five again. One is life, okay. ex life expectancy. Yes. Two is underestimating unforeseen expenses like home repair, major appliance replacement, and the purchase of automobiles or repairing the automobiles. Uh, three is not accounting for the cost of debt that you have today that can offset your savings. And number four is overestimating your ability to work after retirement. And number five is not accounting for the increases in the cost of living to, due to inflation, uh, regulation, fees, and taxes. Got it. Mm. 
Now, if we get quiet, that's because our pens are working right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know yeah, my I know brain too. Let me tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's, I think a lot a, of people you know, get caught even even now with um, not not estimating interest rates when it comes to credit card debt. And as mm-hmm. interest rates go up, I think if you if you reach a certain um, plateau, maybe if you're behind a payment or if you overspend, there's some formula for that that you talked about in one of the earlier shows, that the interest rate can go up, but you may not be paying attention to it. So that right. could catch you. And that's, that's sort Absolutely. of like a, a, a silent attack on, on, yeah. on your budget. Yeah. Because you know it's like having putting money in a, I mean in a, in a bucket that has a hole in the bottom. You know, yeah. um, you keep thinking you're saving, but you know it's coming out the bottom faster than you can get it in. You know, it's it's like dumping money down a dark hole. You know, so I tell people deal with your debt first. Um, if the interest is greater on the debt than it is on on the return on investment, you have to deal with the debt first. Um, right. So you have to be conscious not to accumulate that because it will destroy your attempt to prepare for retirement. And so the younger you want to retire, the less bad debt, or, you know, we call bad debt, meaning uncovered debt that you, you want to take on. Well, I tell you, one other thing I'm looking at is the uh, overestimating the, the ability to work. Cause some of us feel that we're fit for life, but we're still mm-hmm. eating bad foods and we're not fasting and we're not, you know, seeing the doctor regular and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Anything can happen. So we really, it, it, to go hand in hand with our finances, we got to take care of ourselves so that we can, uh, at least in the retirement mode, we can enjoy life. You know, and, and uh, especially our people. You know, we 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 die younger. You know, we brag about looking younger, like mm-hmm. we look great on the outside, but we're horrible on the inside. Yes. You know, yes. and and so and and we don't plan for for that. Like so, you know. Some part of retirement planning, and, and wasn't really going to get into it, is really you know creating um, a long-term health care plan, meaning that balancing your your health care and your fitness uh, with your lifestyle. And uh, and people don't really get that. You know, you, your body can take a tremendous amount of, of abuse and kind of bounce back when you're young. Mm. You know, but the older you get, the less forgiving your body is. Yes, and yeah. the more it's, right, and so the more it's going to cost you, you know, not That's only right. in dollars and cents, but the more it's going to cost you physically, and and the time it's going to take off of your life. Mm-hmm. And so, as part of people's retirement plan, should be a health and fitness plan. You know, everybody should have a health and fitness plan to go along with their financial plan for retirement. Because what are you going to do to stay healthy so you don't have to be on prescription drugs, which prescription drugs can bankrupt you? You know, mm-hmm. as, again, I have to go back to example with my father. Um, when he was really sick, they were trying all these experimental drugs. And there was one drug, and I kid you not, that they wanted to put him on that was $30,000 a month. Wow. Wow. Yeah, $30,000 a month. And, you know, my siblings and I, we were scratching our head like, wow, how much can we throw in, you know, uh, because his insurance wouldn't approve it. It was this experiment. 30000 So whatever money he had to to try to survive on, plus what we could throw in, we would have had to, you know, come up with. You know, but we luckily we came up with a, 
another drug that was only $10,000 a month, and then we got these grants and things. But even $10,000 a month for a drug mm. to survive, you know, we, we can't imagine the astronomical costs of things. And so it's far better to invest now in, a, in, in maintaining your health and, you know, eating good foods, as you mentioned, eating good foods. So what? You pay a little extra for good food. You're going to pay now or you'll pay later. Yeah. So well, Patrick yeah. Delves, you know, our resident herbalist, Patrick Delves, will send you a virtual hug for just saying that because he's always <laughs> talking, you know, about that. And, and that's why what, what we focus on here at the Keys 107 Network, we talk about the seven keys of life. The health key is critical. And you have to have a balance mm-hmm. in all of all of these areas in your life. So if you're talking about your finances, you can't be so focused on mm-hmm. – satisfying financial requirements and financial needs, financial wants, and then having a deficit in your health care. Right. Which leads me into my next point, which was creating a long-term care plan. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we have to look at that again from, from a lot of different perspectives. One is, you know, how you plan on, on living independently as you get older, but also, if unfortunately you're unable to um, live independently, what is the responsibility of, of each family member? Um, and do you have a family member that is able or willing to take you in if you can no longer live alone? And because everybody doesn't have that relationship with their family, unfortunately. And if you know you don't, that means you need to set aside funds, or you might have a plan to liquidate certain assets if it comes to a point where you have to cover your own costs for long-term care. And so, you know, there are insurance plans that you might want to look into early because the premiums would be less um, for long-term care. They have long-term care insurance plans. And I think most people overlook those type of plans, you know, with this weird assumption as, as if they can, you know, live independently forever. And again, if you're living into your 80s, 90s, you know, the, the the reality is you probably will need some assistance. Mm. So, you know, in, in your planning, again, you should look into the cost, uh, you know, of it and expect it to increase significantly, you know, by the time you're of age to, to need it and uh, factor that in. Um, but, again, if you have passive income sources, that can cover that because, again, you don't retire from passive income. Uh, the next thing is you, you should know – the, the significant of, of certain numbers. And, you know, for those of us who are a little older and who have done some more traditional retire, retirement planning, the ages 50 to 70 are extremely important in your planning. Um, most people who do traditional planning for retirement have a 401K at their job, you know, if it offers it. And at age 50, you can begin to uh, make catch-up contributions, meaning you can put extra money in um, at 50 in other retirement accounts um, where there was a limit, you know, at a younger age, you're allowed to put extra money into those accounts. So if you're trying to play catch-up, 50 is a good time to start playing catch-up. At 59 and a half, there are no more tax penalties on early withdrawals from retirement accounts, and that's important. I personally don't like retirement accounts. I tell people, young people, I suggest don't do 401Ks, TDAs, IRAs, 
because the money is locked in there until you're 59 and a half, and because we have such a volatile economy, um, it's highly unlikely that the fund managers can really maintain the types of returns that we need, you know, over that long period of time. So if you're 25 years old, um, you know, it's just my personal, I don't, I told my kids, this is what I would tell my kids and what I do tell them, don't do the 401k because the 401k is, is really a mutual fund in which you, your money is locked up because they're giving you uh, tax deferred, um, you know, savings until you're 59 and a half. So, but at 59 and a half, you can take it out without the penalty for early withdrawal. But I don't suggest you take it out of 59 and a half unless you really needed it because you want to leave it there to give it more time to grow if it's already there. Um, at 62, 62 is a significant number because after minimum age, you can receive Social Security benefits. But again, I tell people if you don't have to take it at 62, don't take it at 62, but because by delaying it means you'll get bigger monthly benefits when you do need it. So that's important. Um, at 65, you're eligible for Medicare. That will help cover some of your increased, possibly increased medical expenses, but you still need to have some supplemental uh, money for Medicare. At age 67, if you were born after 1959, and it's slightly earlier if you were born between 55 and 59, you're eligible for full Social Security benefits. Um, at 70 and a half, you must take the minimum withdrawals from your retirement accounts or you'll get charged tax penalties in the future. So we need to, you know, those numbers are important. So, again, the age is 50 to really 70 and a half. There are certain numbers in there that are really critical uh, for dealing with your money. Mm. Okay. Um, we talked about this one a little bit, but the next thing I wanted, wanted to deal with is we have to be aware of potential changes in the laws that could affect your plan. Social Security and Medicaid come up frequently as things that are bankrupting the federal budget and there there are there is constantly talk about modifying significantly or trying to eliminate those social safety nets and so um with this new administration i'd really be curious to see and we'll know i think the next show i'm going to deal with is whatever comes out in his first hundred days or maybe the show after that but um and how to deal with it but there may be some changes in Social Security, so especially when we're talking about the people on the call that are 25, 30, 40 years old, uh, what we know as Social Security and Medicaid today may not exist by the time you're 62 or 65 or 67. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So we, you know, and that, that could really affect your planning. And, I mean, because you know, the there, last, there was a time when – there was a time when you heard people talk about, I'm going to stay on the job so I can get my pension and I can retire. Right. But you don't hear that conversation so much today. Even people right. who are reaching 60 years old, a few of my uh, friends, says I'm getting ready to retire. Mm. But there's no, there's no follow-up conversation on how they're going to retire. Yeah. And most of them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
they're tired of being it. And one thing people don't don't get it's tired, is, yes. Um, for young people, again, they won't even have a job that they can stay on 25, 30 years and retire because businesses aren't set up that way anymore. Um, they have this meteoric rise, and then they fall, and they're gone. And young people don't stay on jobs anymore. I was talking to a, um, a, a couple of millennials a couple of weeks ago, and both of them had only been out of school maybe a, three years or so, but they had already been on five or six jobs. You know, it was amazing to me that they, they just move from job to job to job to job. And so they don't, they don't even collect retirement benefits. And, you know, many companies are moving away from that anyway because they're hiring people as independent contractors so that they don't have to create those benefit packages. And as we see the, the dismantling of unions, because unions really were the ones who pushed for those type of benefits, you're going to see less and less of that. So when you're talking about millennials and young people who are, are you know, trying to retire – those traditional ways of, you know, having a retirement plan that your job has and 401Ks, those won't even exist. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're fading fast now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we really can't, you know, expect them to rely on that. Those were, those were things that came in that really got big in the late 70s, into the 80s, into the 90s, and now they're fading. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a lot to think of and a lot to think about. And I believe that um, those who are listening tonight, if they're taking notes, there's enough to start making some mental adjustments as to how you are handling your finances for the future. And it starts today. So tell us, when should we actually revisit our plan? Like you said, when you was 22, you thought one way. And when you was 30, it it was different. You know, so when do you when do you? Alter these plans. You know, if I told you today that it should be every two, five years, I would be doing a disservice because we live in such a fast-changing and dynamic world today. And, you know, there there are, even when we look at every five years is a, a disruptive technology that changes the world completely. You know, we have to look at the ramifications of those changes to the economy. We have to look at the backlash even when we look at the, you know, the rise of populism and the changes in government. And we have to look at all these things that affect the economy significantly, and we have to be nimble enough to adjust to meet the changing world. And so I say you should revisit it at least once a year and see if it needs modification. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think you can sit on this thing four or five years. I mean, it, it, and, and we have a tendency to do that. You know, I, I looked at my, my will recently and I had to laugh because I said, wow, I still had in there, who's going to take care of my children. If both of my, you know, if my wife and I passed away and my, my youngest is turning 18 next month, I don't mm-hmm. need anybody to take care of my children. So sometimes, you know, we get stuck on this thing as if, you know, if we do it once and we revisit it every five years or so, it's obsolete too fast. Right. And the world will change so fast because, again, it's inevitable that investments will become unviable. It's inevitable that our life circumstances will change. It's inevitable that our desired outcomes will change. The things that we intend to do with our life when we get older, they're going to change. And if we don't make the adjustments, then we're planning for something that's not going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. we have to plan for, you know, uh, if you're not, if at 25, you're not married, that quite possibly you will get married. Quite possibly you mm-hmm. will have children. You know, quite possibly 
the things that, that you desire to do with your time now won't be the same, you know, when you're 35, 40, 50 years old. And so we have to keep, you know, looking at it every, I say annually, you know, New Year's is a good time to do it, or some people like the spring because it's a time of renewal. But whatever time you choose, your birthday, whatever time you choose, set a date that you revisit your plan and make the adjustments because you have to adjust, again, your, your investments. Um, you have to adjust everything to meet all those changing circumstances, the changes in the world and the changes in your own life. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, we're getting close to that time, but before we sign off, I want to recap some of the thoughts that are that's still running through my head and then uh, maybe one or two questions from our audience. One of the things that I was a takeaway is that we need to teach our children to invest er, uh, early and often, you know. And I would add, we didn't talk about this, but being self-employed, you know, being an entrepreneur, you know, establishing real estate, paying off uh, a mortgage early. Don't do a 30-year mortgage, you know. If If you're trying to retire at 50, Maybe you want to pay off your mortgage at 45, so you have five years of income coming in that you can put away or reinvest in something else. So, you know, you, you have to be creative, but like you said, you have to be conscious and you have to look at this thing all the time. You can never fall asleep at the wheel with this. And if you don't mind, I just want to just something you said that, that's so critical. And again, we didn't talk about it. You mentioned it twice, but we didn't really look at the significance of it. Um, it's about not carrying that 30-year mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, that I did for myself, again, when I was uh, probably, I think I was like 28, 29, or maybe my early 30s, I refinanced my mortgage, my home mortgage, from a 30-year to a 15-year. And just doing that, um, I saved over the span of my mortgage $90,000 mm-hmm. that I would have paid out. So that's $90,000 that, that's gone towards in my investment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So um, it's, it's not only do you have additional income for, for 15 years coming in, you save additional income that's not going out over that. You know, in addition to I don't have to pay a mortgage for an additional 15 years, there's $90,000 just in interest save in that, that, I, that I saved. That's right. You know, that's so, true. so that's money coming in two directions, and mm-hmm. that's so important. Mm-hmm. Okay. Will you allow me to go ahead and maybe uh, allow one of our guests to ask a question? Um, Hafiz, are, are you, are your mic is live. You can ask a question. How are you doing, Haru? Good. And yourself? I'm, I'm doing really good. I found that really interesting, the last thing you said about the 15-year mortgage versus the 30-year mortgage. I'm looking at buying a house soon in Canada. It's definitely something I'm going to look at. I just wanted to say that was fantastic advice. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you were listening. Yeah, I don't really have any uh, any specific question for you. I've just been following along the show. It's great. Just, well, I appreciate uh, you being there. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, thank you, Hafiz. Yeah, no okay. problem. All right. Anybody else that has their hands raised or press the number one, we will bring you in. You can ask your question live or make a comment to uh, uh, Haru. Uh, just press the number one or any number on your keypad. We just want to say this is one of the rare opportunities where you get a chance to 
you know, really dig deep into the conversation or the presentation that Haru is making when he's here on the Keys 107 Network because this information outside of the Keys 107 Network is not free. <laughs> That's right. So That's true. We just, <laughs> you know, we just want to sort of pull your coattails, <laughs> give you a hint with a capital H, and tell you just to use this time. And if you don't feel comfortable tonight, know that Haru will be back February, I'm going to give you the date. He'll be back February 16th, every third Thursday of the month. So you can get your pen and paper together. You can inbox us um, a question, or you can send us a question or a statement at suggestions, with an S, S U G G E S T I O N S, at thekeys107network.com. Or you can friend Haru on Facebook. And Haru, why don't you go ahead and give out your contact information. Yeah, so on, on Facebook, you can go to uh, my page, Insiders Group, Inc., um, or you can just friend me, Haru Niket, either one. Um, you can email me, if you like, at haru at insidersgroup.com. I do have a website, insidersgroup.com. And I just wanted to mention I'm having my last free workshop of this season, and I'll be back in the spring to do free ones, on Sunday, uh, February 5th at 2 p.m. in Brooklyn, but I'll also be live streaming that. For those of you who can't make it, you know, to the live presentation, you can uh, participate live on your computer. So um, I'll be posting that event on the Insiders Group page so you can register for that. So make sure you go to the Insiders Group Inc. page on Facebook and like the page. Uh, listen, now give the location out for – give the location out for, for the Okay, so the, the free workshop will be at – uh, inside this group, my, my main office at 216 Green Avenue in Brooklyn. So, again, that would be 216 Green Avenue in Brooklyn on Sunday the 5th at 2 p.m. James? Okay. Yes. Yes, yes, Rafika. Was, you were going to say something, dear. Oh, I was saying, um, can you make <laughs> sure that you post that um, that notification uh, on the keys in the keys group, so those who are listening and follow us on the keys can have that information as well. I definitely um, will. Haru, yeah, did you post that for the fifth? No, I didn't post it yet. I, I will post. Okay. I'll have that up by by tomorrow. So okay. if you want to register, okay. I'll have it on the keys page tomorrow, and I have it on my page as well. Good, good. Okay. So then we can help you uh, promote that once again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. All right. It's that time. Yes, this has been an enlightening show, Haru, and it wasn't as scary as I thought it would be because, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, my brain goes back to the old school of thinking where you had to have this huge sum of money that you need to play with, but I think you have given us some easy-to-follow strategies to get started on looking at how we're going to retire and are we going to live the life that we dream of living we want to live when we retire. Right. Mm. Well, any closing thoughts? No, I just want to say God bless you, everyone. And uh, Haru, thank you once again. Thank you. Well, you're listening to the sounds of South Africa's Pride and Joy, Ernie J. Smith. And this is a song called Odette Song. It's not necessarily a recent song, but it's just one of my favorites. I love this as a backdrop, and we're getting ready to close our show for today. Tune in next week. Join us on Facebook, 
we have a group and of over 16,000 members, and then we have a page, both The Keys 107. Connect with us on Twitter at The Keys 107. Connect with us on Instagram at The Keys 107. And keep up with us. Let us know what you might want to hear. Send us an email at suggestions at The Keys 107 Network. I am your co-host, Trafika. Um, And I'm Brother James, your co-host. But don't forget, we do have a brand new website that we want you all to visit. It's really high-powered. It's going to grow. And it's a wonderful, wonderful website full of information and and a lot of things to come. And the web address is, Mr. Gresham? Oh, the (laughs) Keys107Network.com. Everything the yes. Network.com. Good night. Yes. Good night, y'all.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.